Well, what I'm um, planning on talking about at the moment is anticipating church growth. Now, something that I think must be dear to all our hearts is the prospect of seeing this church, LWCC, flourish and grow. I'm sure that's something we would all really welcome. But in that respect, there's one thing we all need to realize, that LWCC is not our church. It's God's church. And it belongs to Him. We are not responsible for making it grow. Jesus is. Because he said when he addressed Peter at one time, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. However, however, he does call us to uh, be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and to comply with his command that he gave us in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. He didn't say build the church. He said go and make disciples. That's God's commission to us now. In other words, he's saying always be ready. Always be ready to share the gospel. Always be ready to share the hope that you have in your hearts. The thing that God has done for us. That's all that God requires of us. And in that instance, we can then involve ourselves in helping people to become disciples of Jesus as well. And that led me to think, how were things in the days of the early church where we read of so much success and so much excitement? Would we or could we cope if things were like that for us today? What would happen? I get really excited at the prospect of the church today replicating, repeating what took place that we read of in the early church in Acts. And for that reason, I'd like to uh, read a portion of scripture which I think will help us in our understanding of that. I'm going to pick up the story where Peter has already spoken to a massive crowd of people and they are responding in an amazing way. I don't know whether you can read this. I, I'll, I'll actually read, read it to you, but I hope you can see the, the, some of the script there. It's from Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ by the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, including those in LWCC, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. And if we're not in a perverse generation, I don't know what we're in. 
For those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now this account provides us with a few clues as to what releases Jesus to continue the process of building his church, even today. Firstly, and they listened, and they heeded the prompting of their consciences because they were cut the quickest head. They recognized their need. Again, they were cut, cut in their hearts, and they acted upon it, and they gladly received the word and were baptized. They did something about it. So they didn't stop there. It didn't just uh, leave them in a, in a state of suspension. Because God, with them and with us, he has a plan for each and every one of us. You're not unique. You are unique in one respect. But he requires each of us to play our part in serving the Lord. So he doesn't expect us to sit back and, and let things just drift past us and, uh, and, and without our further care. Even though, of course, our salvation is guaranteed once we've given our heart to the Lord. But we are part of a kingdom. We're part of something special that God has created. Where Jesus is king. And we are the subjects of his lordship. We need to be responding to our king in that respect. Now why am I saying this? Did, did Paul, for example, just sit back on, after his experience on the road to Damascus? No. He dedicated his whole life, his whole being, to the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, did Peter, for example, when he was called to go to the house of Cornelius, did he refuse? even though that was a forbidden thing for a Jew to do, to go into the house of a Gentile, let alone a Roman. It was totally abhorrent, but the Holy Spirit fell, and amazing things happened. Did Rick ignore the call of God on his life um, to serve in the ministry and refuse to come to a place like Basildon? Well, you can ask him, but I suggest his answer will be no. And do you know why? Because God's gifts and calling are irrevocable. They can't be changed. It's like the laws of the Medes and Persians almost, but simply much more powerful and more important. So what is required whilst God is revealing his next step to us in the plan that he has for us to pursue? Well, I believe the, the key to that lies in that verse that we read in verse 42 there. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and the prayers. And I think that's a clue to us as to how we might find the favour of God and to see his revisitation in building his church. Steadfast, 
steadfast. What's it mean? They didn't stop and sit back. They continued. They moved forward. What's more, they continued steadfastly, which if you look it up, means persistent and unwavering in their purpose. The Apostles' teaching. Basically, the Apostles' teaching is what had been taught by Jesus. They didn't have the Bible. They, didn't have, they had Old Testament scriptures, but they didn't have the Bible as we know it, which we can now follow because we know what is written down in there, particularly what's recorded in the New Testament as such. And that's what the Apostles' Doctrine is. It's all about what Paul's teaching and he'd written down, especially in Romans, you find a, a tremendous account of how Christian life should be lived. And although the Old Testament, which they did have, uh, contains a great historical account of God's dealing and, um, with mankind through to the time of Jesus, its demands uh, be completely superseded by the new covenant that we now have in Jesus' life. Doesn't mean to say we ignore Old Testament uh, passages because we know and we read all, all scripture is uh, inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. So the absolute authority for our Christian standards must be grounded firmly in just one thing, the word of God, not the word of man. I know, and you probably know too, Christians who are absolutely legalistic in their attitudes and in their interpretation. They've added to God's scripture. I think I've told you before of a story of my parents where in their youth club, they'd, somebody had provided a, a, a billiard table and the, uh, a deacon in the church cut the legs off the billiard table, destroyed it. He was just completely legalistic and the reason was he said they had billiard tables in pubs. Now that's the sort of attitude which I think is completely alien uh, to what God intended. Another one, I, I remember sitting as a young person in a guy that was representing what was then called the Lord's Day Observance Society. And he declared that Manchester United, who suffered an air crash, had travelled on a Sunday and that was God's punishment to them. Now what sort of attitude is that that represents the God that we love and the, and the, uh, the faith that we follow? And on the other hand, we know of others that are much more liberal in their attitude to God's word. Uh, and they want to conform to today's society and, and try and soften the, the gospel as it was written. They try and pretend that uh, modern day thinking supersedes God's word. It's not true any longer. And that's a complete falsehood. We know it's a falsehood and we should not allow those sort of things to creep into our, our thinking. Because either way, whether you're legalistic or whether you're liberal, we're all going to have to give an account of ourselves one day to the Lord. I guess the message in this respect, continue steadfast in the Apostles' Doctrine, is ignore Scripture at your peril. Follow what the Word says. The Word is our standard 
the one that we must follow. And it talks about breaking bread. Very quickly, we, we call it all sorts of names, uh, communion, Eucharist, whatever you call it. It's never meant to be a ceremony. It's meant to be sharing a meal together and remembering the goodness of all that God has done for us, all that Jesus did for us on the cross. Today, it sort of provides a pause in the busyness of life to reflect together around a simple meal, the amazing sacrifice that Jesus made. It's meant to be a simple act of remembrance and thankfulness. It's intended to remind us not only of what Jesus and what he did, but also of our responsibilities to one, one another. Remember the body. See, if you read 1, 1 Corinthians 11, it'll, it'll, it'll remind you of that instance there. Continued steadfast in the Apostles' doctrine. Breaking bread. Prayer. Prayer. Do we neglect prayer? Jesus spent time praying always. He spent very protracted periods praying to the Father. Why did he do that? Why? It's not necessary. God knows everything at any rate. He knows it before we've even said it. But he loves the aspect of us sharing a relationship with him, talking with him in those instances. He loves us to involve him, even in the mundane, in the day-to-day. -day. There's nothing wrong in talking to the Lord as you're going along. I do. I've, I've been through situations, particularly at work, where I thought, Lord, how am I going to handle this? Here's a situation where I'm going to stop the whole factory from working. And all this 3,000 people, jobs on the line here, on the decision I make. Please help me. He does. He does that. If you allow him to be involved with you. But neither should our prayer just be a, a shopping list of wants, things that we want. You may feel that prayer is pointless, since God already knows our needs. But if Jesus needed to do it, what sort of example is that? We need to follow what Jesus did. And fellowship, fellowship, there's a, a word. It's the sharing of common interests, common goals, experiences or views. I don't believe fellowship um, means living in one's pockets or uh, even communal living like you find in convents or monasteries or anything like that. I don't think that's what God intended. But it clearly does mean an involvement with each other that is beyond the norm, something special, something that we have in common with one another. Do you know, when I looked it up in the uh, NIV Bible, New Testament, there are 57 references to doing things, and it says, one another. One another verses. You look them up, 57. And I, I pulled a few of them together just to, um, to remind you. Here's a few examples. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another 
above yourselves. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And finally, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. It's easy, you know, to neglect fellowship since people that make up the church aren't always the sort of people that we would naturally choose to be close to. However, God has chosen them, just as he chose you and I. So who are we to suggest that perhaps God has got it wrong, because he doesn't get it wrong? Not only that, all of us, all of us are on a journey. And God is in the process of changing us all more and more into the likeness of Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus in all we do. It's just that the process takes a bit longer in some people than others, me included. So final thoughts, what's the bottom line? The fact is God has joined us together for a purpose, for a purpose. The Bible likens us to a body Christ's body now on earth, a body that inflicts wounds on, on itself would be viewed as pitiful, but a body that is in harmony with itself, that is clearly strong and healthy with more concern for the welfare of others than for its own person, is seen as attractive and wholesome, and that's how we want to be, that's how we want God's church to be. And so how is the church view today? How do people view the church? How is Christ's body seen by those that are outside of this room at the moment? Because you and I are Jesus' body here in Basel. We are his representatives. We need to reflect Jesus in our every situation. Another verse, I'll put it on the screen. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Big indictment. And even though we're not responsible for building the church, if we're to partner with God in the process, then we need to ensure that we take note of the pattern that the Bible gives us and adopt a steadfast attitude to what we are called to do. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. Amen.